fun fact, or in this case, we're just going to call it a fact. There's not a lot of fun things about it. But back in the day when people were kidnapped and forced into slavery in America, there were laws put in place that required black folk and particularly women to cover their hair in public. Yes, it was illegal for black women to wear their hair out at one point. Why may you ask? We'll get into it a little bit later, but it was a way to try to shame and police black folks that were enslaved. And, you know, in Louisiana, it was real crazy over there. So we'll go into more details, but basically black women and our hair have been policed for a long ass time. And, you know, it probably still affects us to this day. So welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, our bi-weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to season three, episode seven on the history of head wraps from royalty to slavery to beauty, featuring Paula from FamDam. In this episode, we are going to trace the history of the African head wrap, looking at how its meaning and significance has changed over time and how it has shaped black beauty and culture then and now. Head wrap, headdress, hair tie, doke in Zulu, gaili in Yoruba. These are all a few names given to the head wrap worn by black women across the diaspora. No matter where you go in the diaspora, whether it be the Caribbean, Africa, South America, or places in the U.S., you'll see head wraps and head wraps have been here since the beginning of time and remains an important part of black culture. Now, just to be clear, today we're focusing on head wraps worn by Black women in particular, not to be confused with some head coverings, because generally speaking, a lot of different people from different cultures have been covering their hair since the beginning of time, from hijabs in the Islamic tradition to Orthodox Jewish women covering their head to the white lace coverings and the Catholic and Ethiopian Orthodox Church putting something over here has been happening in different cultures from different time periods since day one. But the head wraps on black women, well, that's something a little bit different. And you've probably heard of terms like scarves, head wraps, do-rags, even bonnets. Those are all fine and dandy. But today we are talking about head wraps. Emphasis on the wrapping part. It's the act of taking fabric, oftentimes an African print, and twisting and turning and nodding and bowing it on your head as a headdress, if you will. I am so excited for today's episode because I love, 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 love head wraps. I uncovered, not discovered, no Carissa Columbus over here, head wraps during my natural hair journey, growing up in Afrocentric Black Pride 
Harlem in the 90s. I used to see head wraps all the time. And I dabbled in a couple of head wraps, mostly for performances, like for my African dance class and performances at the Harlem School of the Arts. Yes, your girl was an African nutcracker. Yes, that was very on brand. Anyways, I always saw them growing up and I dabbled in head wrap or two for my performances, like I said before, but it wasn't until my natural hair journey began in 2010 that I actually purchased them myself and started rocking them. And I love them. I love how they can be used to spice up the look, to cover up hair nicely on a bad hair day, to be extension of an outfit on a good drip day and how in some cases it can just simply be a fashion statement or even a political statement and you know now in days we're seeing this fashion statement on runways and showing up in fashion week so yeah and I still rock head wraps you know before I was a loose natural in 2010 now recently I've locked my hair and I still love head wraps they're just they're so cute before we get into the nitty gritty of today's episode, you know, if you are new here, welcome. You are listening to one of the best history podcasts out here. One of the funnest, you know, most informist, that is not a word, podcast. It's your history class that you never knew that you wanted to take. You're listening to that now. So make sure you subscribe. And if you're an A1 from day one, thank you for coming back. I know I have been finicky as of late with my consistency, but we're back in the game. We got a team. We're bi-weekly. We're going to do this. So thank you for sticking with me. In today's episode, we are joined by Paula, also known as Finding Paula on IG and on the interwebs. She is the creator of a brand called FamDam, which means strong woman in Creole. And it's a hair wrapping company. She sells head wraps and she has expanded into making headbands, bucket hats as well. I just got one of those and I'm sure she'll expand into more beautiful things. We had a great conversation about head wraps and her experience growing up around them and creating a business around head wraps. So in today's episode, we will define head wraps, learn about the evolution of head wraps, how its meaning has changed over time and throughout history. We'll talk about the rise of the popularity of the head wraps in the U.S. And then, of course, we'll go into the interview with Paula. And she's going to talk about what motivated her to start a beautiful business around this. She's going to talk about how she feels about white women rocking head wraps. Of course, she will also give us head wrap shopping tips and tying tricks so we can step our head wrapping game up and so much more. As usual, the first five to 10 minutes of this episode, I will give you all the history receipts and a brief overview of today's topic. And then we'll jump into the really, really, really good conversation with today's guest, Paula, on head reps now and in the future. Because history is not only about what happened in the past, but it is also about what's happening this very moment, this very second. So before we jump into the history, let's do this history segment. First, we'll start out with a definition. Unfortunately, Urban Dictionary, which is like, I love using Urban Dictionary for this podcast, did not have a definition of head wraps, but Cambridge Dictionary did. And it said that head wraps 
are a head covering made from or looking like a piece of cloth wrapped around the head in fashion, traditionally worn in many African cultures. I like that one. And so head wraps are just really a beautiful symbolic expression of identity and style. And when we look at the history of the African head wrap, we see that it's in many cases, it's much more than a fabric covering the head. Today, the glorious tied head wraps are an undeniable statement of African culture and celebration, but that was not always the case. Before becoming an iconic fashion statement seen on today's runways and in today's streets, head wraps have been associated with slavery, colonialism, and royalty. Now, I know that might sound confusing as fuck. Like, how did I just say royalty and slavery in the same sentence? But I did. I did. Throughout time and depending on the location, head wraps meanings have changed from the head wraps that we know and love today. It wasn't always seen as a beautiful representation of culture and heritage. So let's just start from the beginning, the royal beginning. As I like to say, head wraps originated in sub-Saharan Africa and were worn by women during the early 1700s. It was a decorative name tag of sorts, kind of like having a profile on like Tinder or Hinge because a head wrap often indicated your age, marital status and lineage. Of course, queens of sub-Saharan Africa were rocking the traditional head wraps as well. Nubian queens took it a step further, making it extra lit by choosing elaborate, rich fabrics with patterns of exotic and beautiful flowers. Nigerian queens rocked lighter and finer materials for special occasions. And Ethiopian royalty, well, they rocked these stunning, elaborate headdresses. And while yes, yes, the queens and the royalty throughout Africa were rocking head wraps, head wraps were also a part of the daily drip of everyday black women for hundreds of years. Outside of royalty, African women wore head wraps to protect their hair and heads from the sun and to keep cool in this hot ass weather. In addition to using head wraps to protect from you know, the natural elements. Head wraps were also used to represent a woman's spirituality. So you could figure out what god or gods she worshipped by looking at her head wrap. You could also figure out how big her bag was, aka her wealth, by her head wrap. And you could also figure out how bad of a bitch she was, aka her social status, by her head wrap. Simply from its style, color, and design, You could find out if a woman was married, a widow, a grandmother, and that was all in sub-Saharan Africa in the 1700s. But it was a different story across the pond, as they say, right? A whole different story. This unique piece of cloth had so many beautiful meanings in Africa, but in the U.S. and Europe, the colonizers changed the meaning of head wraps. In 1735, the Negro Act was passed that police what black folks were allowed to wear from head, headdresses, to toe. The law actually outlawed more extravagant clothing. It really even outlined exactly what enslaved folks could wear. They had to wear scotch plaids and checked cottons and blue linen. 
and it made head wraps and all of that was used to also cover the hair, right? And so it made kind of head wrappings into these basic head coverings and it was a symbolic marker that highlighted that a person was enslaved and it made it seem like they were inferior because they had to wear these basic rags, if you will, on their head. Around the same damn time of the Negro Act, the Spanish colony of Louisiana passed something called the Edwick of Good Government. And the Spanish colonial governor Esteban in 1785, and it stated, and I quote, Afro-Creole women must wear their natural hair bound in a handkerchief to undermine their exotic allure. So these laws were aimed to reaffirm the social order by marking women of color as different. Afro-Creole women were required to cover their hair because the main concern, the fear was, and this is in quote, that white men were eyeing these Afro-Creole women and black women and finding them more attractive than white women. So this head wrapping law was to keep things in social order and by forcing enslaved black women to cover their hair, it would therefore help white men control themselves from forcing themselves on enslaved and kidnapped black women. Like it's so weird. I hope that made any some sense. You know, I just kind of put that all together. But even though these laws were in place to force women, especially Afro-Creole women, to cover their hair, the Afro-Creole women protested by covering their hair, but then they decorated it, right? They made lemons into lemonade. So they put jewels on it. They put ribbons and feathers. So in spite of these oppressive, controlling-ass laws, you know, these Afro-Creole women made a defiant fashion statement of it all. So yeah, that was weird. History also shows that many white women also insisted on head wraps being worn by black enslaved, kidnapped black folks to avoid confusion over who was the mistress. All of this social order and laws resulted in enslaved black women being forced to wear head wraps as a uniform making head wraps and the act of covering your hair in general a symbol of being enslaved, being kidnapped, and being seen as inferior. As white folks' power increased, they used their power to control how black folks dressed. And so then historically, we start to see that head wraps or covering your hair, especially in like, you know, a basic handkerchief were linked to black women being mammies, right? And so these women that were considered mammies were often enslaved women who were in the house raising white folks, children, cooking and cleaning, catering to the needs of their kidnappers and so mammies were considered sassy and big and motherly and that was linked to kind of head wraps head coverings and this image of the mammy continued to grow and fester in the U.S. even after slavery was abolished in America in 1865. So after slavery was abolished some black women did wear head wraps creatively but the style had deep roots in servitude and homeliness here in the U.S. 
and the mass production of mammy images like Aunt Jemima, you know, on her damn pancakes, which was recently removed, by the way, you know, her head wrap with the checkered pattern really reinforced this stigma. So pretty much for a while, right, covering your head, whether it be with a cloth or just a basic pattern was really not something a lot of black folks were doing, especially middle-class black folks. They were trying to assimilate and like, you know, so they started to embrace these Eurocentric standards of beauty and professionalism with perms and hot combs. And as a result, wearing anything on your head as a black woman, especially in public, was looked down upon. But, you know, on the other side, some women continued to at least cover their hair or wrap their hair in silk and satin scarves at home and at night, right? To keep those perm styles and those press styles and to not swell those roots. It wasn't until 1970s with the black power movement with phrases like black is beautiful and all of that with the all black leather, everything and black pride that we start seeing head wraps become a critical accessory or should I say uniform of rebellion. Like the return of natural hair and afros, head wraps was warmly embraced as a style here in America because the black power movement was all about black is beautiful, being unapologetic about who you are, not trying to assimilate. And so head wraps was really a celebration of that. Fast forward from the 1970s to the 99s and the 2000s. I'm not going to start singing juvenile back that thing up. I'll save that for you. But anyway, we're in the 99s. Well, really the 1990s and the 2000s. And we start to see artists like Erica Badu and Lauren Hill and Jill Scott and India Irie. And these women really start to popularize the colorful, beautiful, towering raps for a new generation. And nowadays you see head wraps have entered into the mainstream and can be found in vogue and going down the runways during fashion week. And despite it becoming a trendy accessory that even some white folks are wearing, no comment, (laughs) head wraps still have a rich history and represent black culture, black folks, our freedom, our beauty. It's a form of expression. These head wraps that we're talking about today that began as royalty and a way for everyday folks in Africa to just be became something that a kind of oppressed black woman in America due to the colonizers. And it was like kind of like a scarlet letter of inferiority to the colonizers. But today it has come full circle. It's an inspirational piece of clothing that has helped a lot of black women, including myself, reclaim our identity, our beauty, and express ourselves through head wraps. It's a striking nod to the history behind our culture, as we know and we love today. Now, let's jump into the interview with Paula, also known as Filing Paula. I actually met her in 2014 And I went to a black owned beauty supply store in Harlem and she was having an event there and she was selling and wrapping head wraps. And she did one for me that was truly unforgettable. I actually still have the picture. I put the picture 
on Instagram and I actually also added it to my Tinder profile when I was, you know, in the swiping streets and it was actually one of my most popular photos that I like got swiped on on dating apps, you know, thing. but Paula is just amazing. And it's been nice to see her business grow from 2014 to 2022. And so she is just a boss woman. She's a mom. She's a photographer. She's a business owner. And she has been in a lot of dope publications from the New York fucking times to essence to Teen Vogue. And her brand is just about being colorful and living unapologetically and brightly. She always highlights all the colors that she sees and the colors that she paints in her home. And she shares a lot of insight of like being a mother and she recently moved to Austin. So I can go on and on and on clearly about her because sis is just the shit period. But let's jump into this interview with Paula who will talk about head wraps, her head wrap band and where she see head wraps going and so much more hi paula thank you so much for joining me on the podcast to talk about the history of head wraps thank you <laughs> for having me yes i'm so excited i'm to glad have we could make it work <laughs> i know i know i know that you're a boss a mom you're doing a lot of different things so i appreciate you making the time absolutely <laughs> yes i i my whole thing is making time for the people whose work i admire and also it's hard to find supporters, right? And I feel like, I'm, I remember when I met you, I did a pop-up at, I think it was Vibrant Beauty and Harlem, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that was years ago when I first started. So having people like you who have supported me throughout this entire journey, because that was at least five or six years ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. to me, that's so important. You know, these things are priceless, (laughs) having that kind of support. So I really appreciate you even having me on here and rocking my head wrap. (laughs) I had to, I had to. I can't talk about head wraps and not wear one of your head wraps. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yes. (laughs) And it's been beautiful to see you evolve, like from five years ago to now, you know, your business has really bloomed and blossomed and it's still growing. So like just for the listeners, some people who might not be familiar with you, can you just let them know who you are, what your brand is? You know, there's a lot of meaning behind your brand. There's a lot of sustainability that you're doing. So if you could just share a little bit about what Damdam is. Well, my name is Paula Mate. I am originally from Haiti and I lived in Harlem for about nine years. And that's where I give credit to really finding my voice, my creative voice. So when I lived there, there was a a big West African community. And I always felt so lucky to walk the streets of Harlem, knowing how many great Black people existed and thrived there and knowing its history. So I always felt like I had a lot more to offer than my day jobs. Not that people working day jobs don't offer. I mean, we, those things are clearly very much needed and necessary. But at that time I was managing two restaurants. Um, so there weren't even day jobs. <laughs> there were night there jobs. Were jobs. Yeah. Right? So I was managing two restaurants and I was working 50, 60 hour days. I still work those I still work sometimes as an entrepreneur, right? But I was working a lot. And I remember just always being really into head wraps, you know, even in college, et cetera. And so I think my, where I'm getting at 
I am the founder of Fumjum. It means strong woman in Haitian Creole. And when I first started, I started with a collection of eight head wraps in my studio apartment in Harlem. When I started that, I, to me, with everything that I do, if it's a personal project, it has to have some meaning behind it. I don't want it to just be something I'm doing just because I would ask myself what my intentions are. So I went with Fumjum because I knew that back in my country and my culture, the women who often tied or wrap their hair, they worked with their hands and they worked and at the marketplace. They were rarely ever respected or given the credit they deserved. And I thought just thinking about those women as the highlight or the main source of inspiration would really help me dig deeper into what I really wanted to do. So I am the founder of Fumjum. I am a creative director, a photographer, but I think about often about who I am and what I do. Um, and I think there are different terms for, for what I do. I think some people call it a social entrepreneurship, you know, and because to me, more than anything, it's not a, what I'm doing more than anything is less about selling a product, but creating something that is meaningful to women who look like me or, or, or who wish to maybe find more about who they are because we have so many different sides, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like growing up too, I always thought, okay, if you're one way, that's all you're going to be and that's it. And I feel like Fumjum has taught me that there are so many different ways to be strong. It has really helped me redefine what strength is to me and especially because I work with so many women, so many Black women, mm -hmm. and so many Black women from different cultures. And although there are so many things we can relate to, we, we, can, we can talk about hair for hours. We can talk about the way society makes us feel in different places for days. We can cackle and laugh from the gut about so many things and feel connected in so many different ways. But we all have different experiences and... I feel like I've been so lucky and fortunate to meet all these different women who helped, who have helped me found more sides of myself and also helped me redefine what so many things I've been taught and redefining them in my own way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's beautiful. So that's beautiful. It's a give and take relationship too, like how you're describing it. Like you're learning and growing and it changes over time it's not like set in stone so that's like what's beautiful about it like you know who we are and our businesses and our passions all are kind of like this growing living thing you started off like you said in your studio apartment making eight head wraps so how would you define what's Paula's definition of a head wrap see that definition also has changed right okay. um mm -hmm. So when I started, I remember I got this book called Head Wraps by Georgia. Now I'm blanking on the name because, you know, of what's going on. But she wrote this book and she traveled the world and she talked about how head wraps is any kind of head covering, right? And she mm. talked about all the different head wraps in different cultures. So she talked about even defining the do-rag or the bandana as a head wrap. And I agree. Before that, I thought a head wrap was what I was wearing you know, mm -hmm. and it was, and, and so to me, a head wrap is a head covering that is more than an accessory, just like a fly accessory, like a headband, for example. I feel like a head wrap to me is this head covering rooted in culture and history. And whoever wears it needs to understand that because the head wrap 
makes you feel taller. It makes you stand taller. It gives your presence another meaning, I feel mm-hmm. like. And, and maybe it is because, you know, I've just worn head wraps for so long. But I, I know how, how I am perceived when I walk into a place wearing a head wrap. It's not always, I mean, it hasn't always been positive. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, you know, people make way. You know, I take up space. And growing up, I didn't know what that meant. I was always trying to shrink myself. And now I can even stand taller with the head wrap. So that's what it means. A symbol of so many beautiful and positive things about my culture as a Haitian woman and, or a, a woman of African descent. And I love that you said that head wraps are, you know, a head covering and before it had changed for you because before you said you wouldn't necessarily think of do-rags and stuff like that because that was one of my questions. I was going to be like, how do you, like when we talk about do-rags or night scarf, like head ties or even bonnet, like do you put that in the head wrap category? I personally wouldn't put a bonnet in the head wrap category. Honestly, even when I see things like pre-tied head wraps, I feel like a head wrap needs to be wrapped in some way. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. You have to be... There is such a beautiful thing in rituals too. And I feel like when I think about putting on my head wrap and I think about all the different women around or men around the world putting on their head covering and then just kind of like those motions they're making, to me, that's just such a special thing, mm-hmm. you know, versus something you just slide on. To me, anything you're sliding on is not a head wrap. You know what I mean? That's because also another thing about a head wrap too is your head wrap is the exact same size and dimension as the head wrap I'm wearing. And we look completely different. So you could make it yours. And mm-hmm. no. And when you're wrapping it, although I've worn my hair in this style so many ways, the head wrap never, never looks the exact same. So there's this kind of like snowflake effect too that I feel like it's just so special when it comes to learning how to wrap, taking time, with yourself to me it's also an act of self-care just like being creative and saying okay I want to be taller today or I want to do this and sometimes it is very convenient obviously it depends on the day and your mood and what you're trying to do but again that's what makes it so special right because it really could come through for all of these different ways that you're feeling it's not just okay I want to stand tall today or I want to arrive and sometimes it's like I don't have time for my hair right now so I need to cover it up and sometimes it is that Okay, the pièce de résistance for this outfit is the head wrap, so I'm going to have to wear it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. I know head wraps are a part of your culture, but did you learn anywhere in school or, like, college or any type of formal education around mention head wraps or anything like that? Absolutely not. And honestly, growing up, I often saw a head wrap and kind of like costumes, like or cultural dances, right? So, and then I would see musicians who would wrap their hair because they sing a particular genre of music, like roots, we call it Racine and and Haiti. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't really something that women, like Nigerian women, right? the bigger the head wrap and and the occasion they showed up and, and did, and or like Senegalese women, A lot of the time, our style is the way we wrap our hair is more like how you wrap it, the way Mm -hmm. I call it, I call it the machan. That's what I, but it wasn't something that was that much celebrated outside of the arts, because Mm -hmm. once you did it, it meant that you weren't doing your hair. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It meant that. And I remember when I started, 
when I first started Fum Jum, there were some older Haitian women who were like, what are you doing with these rags on your heads? You know what I mean? Like it wasn't always celebrated. Now yeah. it's kind of insane how when, as my brand started growing and, or I even started evolving as a talent and people started inviting me places and I would go to big sh to shows at New York Fashion Week. And then I would literally see the head wrap on the runway. Like, you know, from when yeah. I started, when I was getting all of this, not necessarily backlash, but like, it was similar to when I first went natural I yeah. know, some a lot of questions. years ago, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I used to be asked, is this a political thing? Is this a, you know, all of the things. And now you can show up and no one, they're like, okay, cute head wrap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know? I think you, yeah. And I think that's beautiful how it has evolved. And I know like just historically, like from some of my research, like, you know, especially like you were just mentioning, like in like Sub-Saharan Africa and like stuff like that, like head wrap were seen kind of like as a status and as a symbol and like, you know, all these beautiful things. But then here in America and in Europe, you know, it got associated with slavery and rags, like you mentioned, you use that word. And so I guess I'm interested to hear your opinion on what do you think caused that shift for us? Because I feel like head wraps, like you said, now you see them on the runway, you see them in fashion week. What do you think are some of the things that cause people to change that, get out of that respectability politics and be like, okay, this is not a head rag. <laughs> it's right. a wrap. I it's think wrap. One, one thing I'm grateful for about being alive in this age is that Black women are taking control and they're taking power and they're saying, whatever we've been taught is not reality. And I'm going to show you what I find beautiful and what I find worthy. And I think we still have so much work. <laughs> There's still so much work to be done because reversing or trying to heal through all this trauma we've survived as, you know, as a whole in terms of how we look and what beauty standards have been and what society pushes on us. I think right now there are so many brave women and, and again, we are our ancestors' <laughs> dreams, right? Wildest mm -hmm. dreams. And, and they've done a lot of the work for us. But a lot of us just won't take, you know, what a lot of our parents or grandparents have taken. And, and, and maybe we owe, obviously we owe that to them. But we are saying, you cannot tell us what is beautiful anymore. We know what it is. What is. Because we've been here, we've set trends, we continue to set trends. And again, we will create and we will we'll celebrate who we are on our own terms. And I, I think that's what's happening. It's not that it's being given to us, we're taking it. That mm -hmm. shift where people are like, yes, my natural hair is beautiful. Yes, we're going to show up in our locks. Yes, we're gonna show up in our short afros or our head wraps and you can't tell us anything because we know what these things mean to us, right? Yeah. I think that's what it is. And then people are like, well, we better, we better adjust because we see it, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like right now in big brands or even a, a retailer like ASOS, you know, if they're making head wraps, it's because they understand beyond kind of like we're taking control. They're like, well, clearly there's a market here, right? Mm -hmm. You weren't seeing a lot of the stuff that, it, that are being sold in these big retailers. And now you see them even in commercials when they choose, you know, black women wearing head wraps to tell stories because they understand that power. And mm -hmm. I think it's also up to us because we're shifting how marketing is becoming. We're shifting how, how brands are selling things. 
but we also need to own our own stuff. We also need to sell our own stuff. Yeah, it's cool. You know, if you get a big contract through a brand and you're saying, okay, change has happening representation. But to me, representation doesn't just happen in front of the camera. It needs to happen behind the camera and it needs to happen in the boardrooms and everywhere else. So I feel like in general, we're just taking it. That's, yeah. that's where the change is coming. We're like, all right, we're done. We're tired. We're going to take what's ours no matter what. And it's hard. It's hard to take it. <laughs> it is. We haven't owned it. We're just saying, you know, but right now you see it more because we're starting to understand and we're becoming more aware and more open to what beauty is. Like we don't have to look one way you know, to feel yeah. beautiful or, or, or stylish or worthy, you know? Yeah. And I think that like, you make some good points. Cause I remember when I started, like I started my natural hair journey, then I started wearing head wraps and I would like come home or like go visit my grandma. And she'd be like, you went to work like that. <laughs> and I'd be like, like what? And they'd be like, with that on your head. And I'd be like, absolutely. And, you know, I think like you said, like, I think our generation is just kind of like that phrase that we always say, like, it's unapologetic. Like, this is who I am. This is how my hair comes out of my head. This is how I want to wear my head, my hair right now, whether it's covered or uncovered. And like, you need to accept it. I'm not going to try to assimilate, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, our ancestors, they tried that, you know, it was all trial and error. And that didn't work. Respectability politics, you know, you can still mm-hmm. wear a suit. They're still going to see you a certain way. They're still going to treat you a certain way. So I love that. Like you said, like we're seeing it on runways. We're seeing it in weddings. Like I saw Lovey wore a head wrap for her wedding. Like I would never even, you know, with a white traditional wedding gown, you know, like you see that with a lot of different culturals, but it was like, oh no, she's going to do it for, for the American wedding version too. So I really like um, that. And I'm inspired by all the women who are really like embracing the head wrap and like wearing it to formal events. Like even the head wrap I have on now, people can't see it if you're listening to the episode, but it's your evening wear. And I'm like, oh yes. And they're like these nice, velvet some of them are like vegan leather like you know materials that definitely you know complement any kind of like solid color or pattern so that really Mm -hmm. kind of stretched me as a person because I never really thought about it as a formal as a formal assessment so here's here's why I started making these so when I started from jam almost eight years ago again out of my little studio apartment I know nothing I knew nothing about business I knew nothing about the world of fashion I honestly didn't even think people outside of Harlem would know my business or my company right I started with African prints I mean that's what was in Harlem I went to the local little shops and I asked I asked for a few yards of fabric and then I asked them I went around the tailors and I asked them to sew me some head wraps and at that time they were confused because they were like are you sure you don't want to dress with and then whatever's left left over we can make a head wrap with it and I would go no I want you to make me x amount of head wraps and some of them turned me down because they didn't understand they were like so you need me to just cut it like this no I don't have time for this right <laughs> and I remembered I went under that market on 116th street there was this one guy when I went he was confused but I told him to cut up all this fabric into this dimension and then to make them for me. And he agreed. He was like, all right, fine. I mean, it's your money. You know, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. he didn't even, he was like, sure. And so when he made me the head wraps, I was, ex- I was so excited. I remember going home with my little pack of head wraps and I called my friends and I said, hey friends, I don't have any money, but I would love your help with something. And that's when Tumblr was huge, right? Like yeah. Instagram, I, I had, I had like, 
I don't know, 20 followers on Instagram or something, maybe a hundred, who knows, but yeah. And I remembered they showed up in March, it was freezing. And I lived in, in, in this apartment, we had a rooftop on Frederick Douglass and they showed up and I was like, listen, we're gonna have food, we're gonna have this. And I had some makeup artist friends who showed up. I had a photographer friend who showed up and then they helped me out that day. We just did a photo shoot. And then, and I had even a, a friend, I invited an Asian friend because at that time I was thinking just when I first started from Jum, I thought I am inspired by mostly African culture, but some Asian culture as well. There's something interesting, interested about it, interesting about it. But I remember these women showed up in March on a rooftop and it's freezing and they're lying on the ground going with like all the ideas I had, <laughs> you know, and that like, that's just like time is so expensive, especially to me now, like to me, it's so valuable. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say expensive. I want to say valuable. So the fact that they did that for me and stayed in my tiny apartment all day to help me get that right. And I remember when those photos came out, they just went exploded on Tumblr. Right. Ooh. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what is going on? And and Tumblr was like, I mean, I don't use it anymore. I don't even know if it exists, me but it was just like <laughs> such a crazy big deal to me. And I remember starting crying because I, I when I did it, it wasn't for that. It was just I want to put this thing out there. You know, I, I want to start this. And I remember literally sitting on my couch for days on end, like days without moving, like building my website and like doing all these different things before the photos were launched. And, um, and I just remembered like, and, and, and back then, you know, and when I think, when I'm telling you about power too, and how, you know, bigger brands have realized that through social media. So we had the big black bloggers who were, who were blogging by big. I mean, the urban bush babes were one of the people, first people mm -hmm. who were like, check out Thumbjum, you know, on Tumblr or something. And people were like, what is this? You know? And that's when I started crying because, you know, I didn't know that my little head wraps would sell out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then I started doing markets. One of the first markets I did was in Harlem and I, I, I paid $50 for the table. And I was like, man, if I could just sell two head wraps, that would be so good because then <laughs> I would have like made enough money for the table. For only real. two, then, only and, two. <laughs> yeah, that was my that was my expectation because back then people were like, what are you doing? I don't get it. Interesting. Yeah. You know, when you told people, oh, I have a com company and, and we make head wraps and they're like, what? Like literally, like they're like, interesting or like these kind of yeah. reactions so I was like I just need to sell two head wraps and I'm good you know <laughs> and I think that and I, I don't know how long you've lived in Harlem but there was I'm a co-working oh really yeah. so there was a co-working space on 116th street and I don't know how long it stayed there it was like close to where maybe Silvana I think it was on 116th street it was a new idea and I don't know mm -hmm. if it stayed there it was like one longer, of the little corners right? The little, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I remember just going in there and I was like in the middle of all these vendors and I was the only head wrap seller and all of these vendors had, you know, you had the vintage, you had jewelry, you had all kinds of things. And we were like, again, still like, Oh, cute head wraps, you know? Mm -hmm. But my thing is I've hustled my entire life. 
I started working when I was 13. And when I was at that table, I was like, anyone who makes eye contact with me, I'm smiling really big and I'm inviting them over. Like, you know, like I'm not going to be the vendor at the table on my phone. No, I'm with people. Mm -hmm. And people just, I started talking to them. And at that time I was making all of my own tutorials in my apartment. So I had them on loop on my laptop and I was just talking to them and And it was just such an amazing opportunity to really connect with people on a personal level. Because I think right now I've reached that point where everyone's just like, okay, online, online, we need to be online. We need to get followers online. But having to connect personally with people is so much more special, you know? And that's one of the things I missed because I haven't really done a pop-up or anything like that. But I think that's what helped me versus really trying to focus on growing online or in social media, I think when I met people in person and when I was able to tell them about what I was doing, then maybe they were like, okay, I'm interested enough to go and figure out what this woman is doing online as well. And that really helped me out. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I love so, that personal connection. You know, that's needed, mm-hmm. especially now it's hard to sure. do that with the pandemic. Yeah. You mentioned fashion week, you mentioned having um, one of your Asian friends in your photo shoot. What are your feelings around, you know, understanding, I guess, the cultural connection of Hebrat to Black women, even to like Muslim women and other women of color who cover their heads as a form of decoration mm-hmm. or religion? How do you feel about white women wearing head wraps? Do you have any feelings around that? <laughs> is there a way to I do, do it? I actually, correctly? I, I, there, there is a way to do it. I, I think, and I, I have always said this because there's always this conversation around appreciation versus appropriation, right? Mm-hmm. I make head wraps for everyone. I think if a woman went and said, I'm going to buy a denim head, a white woman went on my website and said, I'm going to buy a denim head wrap and I'm going to wrap my hair. I have no issue with that. I think there are different ways you tie your hair that that are more appropriate for certain cultures and women. And I always give the example for the do-rag, right? Black men wear do-rags for not, not just aesthetics. Like there's a reason. So why, as a white man, would you feel like you have to wear a do-rag? There are things that are just more specific to Black women. Yeah. You know, we, I can't walk to any hair salon. I wish that, I hope in the future I can, that all hair, all hair experts could treat my hair. But there are just things that are just more specific to Black women and their hair. And that's why I've always been unapologetic about who my target market is. Because mm-hmm. I feel like in general, and, and that's why it was important for me to get that book on head wrap and to, to see how, what a head wrap was or what was considered a head wrap. Because I mean, obviously I'm not going to wear a hijab, right? Like that's yeah. not part, I, that's not my religion. I want to respect it. And, and so I think there's a way to do it. And I don't think every head wrap is only for black women. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I totally understand that. And I get what you're saying. So like, if you sh- but if you show up to my store as a white woman and you say, I want this bright Ankara print head wrap and I want to wear it like yours because I want to look like an African queen, I'm going to tell you that it's not okay. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I and I have had these conversations. I mean, again, I've been doing this for eight years and I've heard everything. I would say, why do you want to look like an African queen? You know, and, and because I've heard that before. And that's mm-hmm. that was my response. And and so I would say, and then or sometimes they would say, Okay, I wanna wear a head wrap, but I'm not really comfortable. Then I would go, then why would you wanna wear it? Because to me, if you're not comfortable, why you have to ask yourself why you're wearing it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and or I don't I don't want to offend anyone. And another thing I like to tell people, too, is that I don't represent the entire race of black of people. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I if I say that, OK, to me, it is OK for a white woman to wear denim head wrap or full leather head wrap or any solid or stretch head wrap that I offer and in, in ways that, you know, that they should feel like they shouldn't come to me and say, oh, my God, can I wear it like Badu? What do you think? knowing (laughs) the culture and history I like to ask people that too because to me something might not offend me and then it offends someone else so you can't come go back to those people and say okay well my friend first of all you know or this woman I know tells me (laughs) that this is my black friend (laughs) that it should be right so no I think you made a good point and I like how you ask people questions to kind of get them to start thinking when they make some of these problematic statements but I think you do make a good point that you know, we're not a monolith. So like maybe you are comfortable mm-hmm. with it and maybe I'm not. And so that's also something that everyone has to take into consideration, not just with head rest, with anything, you know what I mean? Like anything. people, like there's millions of us, we all don't agree on the same thing. Um, Absolutely. And that's, and that's for every race, not just black people. So, you know, I think that's a good point. Thank for example, you. right? White, white women wearing cornrows. <laughs> there are some people would say, oh, that's absolutely unacceptable. Why would you do it? And to me, you know, why are you wearing cornrows? If that's really what you want, then go for it. But also, <laughs> why? Because here's the thing. We we understand why we do certain styles, right? Yeah. Um, like, for example, our hair naturally locks. Like, if we wash it constantly, if I take my hair and I constantly wash it and I never comb it, I just like wash it and I, whatever it is, it will lock up. My hair locked in like a month. Like when I started my lock journey, it was like my hair locked like instantly. (laughs) So, so if you're going out of your way and you're doing all the things just to lock your hair, why are you doing it? Like, you you know what I mean? Yeah. If it's not a natural thing to you. Right. Like mm-hmm. we do cornrows, we do box braids, we do all these things as protective styles because we know that our hair requires resting. So if you're doing that and you don't necessarily need that as a protective style, then, you know, that's why I like to ask the question because yeah. then you're seeing it as just a style. And when it comes to our hair, it's always more than a style, no matter mm-hmm. what. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. what people have to understand. It is not just a style. It is so many things, like even beyond culture. It is just thinking about hair as a young Black woman growing up or a young Black girl, you're going to have a different experience than any other little girl in the world. Yeah. And people have to understand that. And there is a reason. It's not because we want things to be more difficult for us. It's not because... <laughs> we want it it is because that is how our our hair is that is the experience so if you want a piece of that experience without understanding all of its beauties and struggles then that's when the question really comes that appropriation culture really comes because it's a lot of things are not just styles (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I love that I love that you said that it's like it is it's like our hair is a much load it's a loaded thing you know it's so much more than hair it's politics it's a whole bunch of stuff so I and I think it's always good to flip a question on someone instead of like saying how you feel sometimes it's asking them a question and getting them to think and challenge themselves I feel like that's how you really get right people if they're if they're open to it 
what bothers me is that sometimes people just only see things on the layer on the surface so Mm -hmm. they'll say things like oh my gosh I love locks I would love to just try it and because it's so cute and and they don't understand why hair is locked you know Mm -hmm. and there are many reasons yeah so that's why I like to go and I like to answer that way even when it comes to head wraps why do you think we wrap our hair beyond it being this accessory and why do you intend to wear it as an accessory what do you see it as do you just see it as this thing that makes you look cool because it's trendy, you know what I mean? Or do you have a specific reason? Because we have, you know, women who are cancer patients or who work, who have alopecia and who have all kinds of things and and need different ways to cover their heads. So I would, I always, when they email me, I say, okay, our stretch knits are perfect because they're soft, they're lightweight, You can wear them in different ways that, you know, if you show up, you're not like, whoa, like what is going on? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have to have a reason more than, oh, this is cute. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and then when in doubt, we have twisted headbands, like just wear one of those or a bandana, you know what I mean? And that's why we make these things because I do think it is important for black women because often, you know, when, when a from what I've seen in my experience, I'm not saying that's true everywhere. When Black people own businesses, often it's required only for them to cater to Black people. And I don't think that's a way for them to grow. I want to be able to sell things to everyone, but I want, but there are specific things. There are things like the head wrap. That's what I started with that. I want to make sure that my audience understands. So then I started making the bandanas. I started making the twisted headbands. I started making the double-sided headbands and those literally are for everyone, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Cause you can't, you, everything's not for everyone. So I love that as you expand your brand, you're also like touching on, okay, this is cute for a kid. This is cute for a different t- non-black women. Like, you know, so it's like, you're still- I'm still gonna use a black model to, yeah. to model them though. <laughs> okay. But of course, <laughs> because, because I think about Afro, like women with Afro hair in general, even when I redesign our accessories, because even like a scrunchie needs to be wider. Cause I think about the woman with the really thick locks or even the lock extension, mm-hmm. like we're working on bucket hats right now. I have two sizes because I'm like, when I have braids, regular My head is twice the size. My right. Twice so I, exactly. So I want a bucket hat that fits my hair when I have braids, you know? So I think about those things. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, if Asian woman wants to wear my, my bucket hats, of course, I'm making them for everyone. But I'm also really thinking about the Black women's experience when it comes to that. So the typical size fits any bald woman or short hair woman or straight hair. And then the other size would fit women with jumble locks or braids or, you know, wigs, whatever it is that you decide to do. Yeah, you know? yeah. Another mm-hmm. thing that it's taught me too, like I love it when I work with women and sometimes they come in and they're like, excuse my hair. I'm sorry. It looks like this. And I'm just like, listen, this is where you belong. Like we, <laughs> we understand like, you don't have to explain or apologize. That's another mm-hmm. thing about kind of like the process when I work with models and they're like, I'm sorry. And, you know, they're like, I washed it yesterday, but then these are my little two strand twists. And I'm just like, again, we're here and we understand, you know, exactly. Um, yeah. So that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that you look at it through a lens. So now I'm going to ask you maybe a couple more questions, but just kind of like about your creative process for Femdem. Like, how do you pick out a print or a fabric? Like, what is your creative process? I think that's also evolved um, mm-hmm. 
over the years. When I first started, I only just looked at print and color. I didn't mm -hmm. think about feel or comfort. <laughs> <laughs> or I didn't also didn't think about the environment as much right mm -hmm. and I feel like again when I told you when I start something I really want I always like to challenge myself and so I'm not only making the product to sell it but how I can make a difference along that way so and then as I grew I would say within the third year or so and I started really thinking because I started wearing head wraps more I'm my main customer You know, yeah. before we launch something, I have to wear it. I have to experience it because I want to make sure that it's okay for people, right? And then I have to feel passionate about selling it. Everything is so personal to me. So, so obviously feel is really important to me. But when I think about the, the weight of the fabric, so I think about the weight of the fabric, I think about the way it feels, right? I think mm -hmm. about the different textures um, because that also is very important when it comes to styling. Like for example, a velvet, right? or like that faux leather, or um, or even the rib knit, all of these things provide this, I would say, this extra, I guess, icing. I, I'm yeah. not even thinking about yeah. it. Like, or even like it, a subtle, it, a subtle icing. A, that, that kind of, right, exactly. So, but then it also adds to the entire look of the outfit that you're trying to um, pull together. So I also think about color and what what goes with specifically deeper tone women or brown skin women. So I know that, you know, a paprika or a paprika head wrap is just such this gorgeous rusty red that just looks phenomenal on so many different skin tones. So the color and then also the price point, because when I first started and there wasn't a head wrap market, <laughs> I started at a really low price point for things that are made in the USA. And so I think because I started that way, it kind of like maybe also shifted the market. to So because when I see Etsy vendors and I see all kinds of people who are selling head wraps, even if they're handmade by them, they're really low. And I think, okay, there's really, it's going to be really hard for that person to grow because then they're not thinking about all the overhead and other things in place mm -hmm. or if they were to start working with some people or workshops to manufacture the stuff. So these are all yeah. things you have to think about. I know that I started at the lowest price point possible. And then when I started expanding, when, when I started offering the, the Italian silks and you know the velvets and things, I started pricing them accordingly, but still sacrificing the profit margin. You have to think about your market too. Yeah. So I want to make sure that I want to give you the best possible quality. I still want to make things in small batches sustainably, locally. Yeah. yeah. So that makes it more expensive. I still want to be zero waste. But then I have to think about the quality and the weight of the fabric and everything on top of it. So when people, some people don't understand what I do because sometimes they'll go, but it's literally a piece of rectangle that is sewn. No, it isn't. You know yeah. what I mean? It mm -hmm. is literally, it is something that our seamstresses, we have to measure and cut. We have to make sure. And when I first started too, I'm so, so grateful for the people who started supporting me in the beginning when I told you I was using the tellers in Harlem because quality in terms of like the craftsmanship or like how it was sewn was not a thing. It was just like, they're like, I just want to get this I just get get out of my face. Right. <laughs> So now, you know, all these things are really important to us just because my thing is too, I just think it's so beautiful when someone owns something and you ask them where it's from and they're like, oh, my grandmother, like I took this from my auntie's closet or like this was passed down 
to me by my mom. And I want to be able to create things like that and make them that special. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, even if to them, it's just a scarf. But if you look at the market and you look at how much some scarves are, like we're very reasonably priced, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But I think my creativity in terms of, because there are two things, this one choosing the fabrics to produce the things and then understanding or, or thinking about how they would be styled and trying mm -hmm. to sell them that way or inspiring people to even go out and, and sell them their own way. Yeah. But then it's also, okay, where would that person wear this? Is this an everyday head wrap? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if it is an everyday head wrap, it has to be, and, and where are they? Are they in a really hot climate? Because it has to be really lightweight and breathable. You know, who am I making this for? Is this perf perfect for someone? I mentioned someone with alopecia who's, you know, who needs something as soft as possible. So all of these different questions come to mind when it comes to finding the right fabric. And so you think about the styling, the purpose, you know, the climate, all of those different things. Wow. Yeah. I love, I love that you're giving us insight because yeah, I think a lot of people just think, oh, it's a, it's a piece of fabric. It's, you're just selling, you know, a a dimension of this by this. And it's like, there's a lot that goes into it, into the craft and selecting because even the one I have on now, the available one, this feels great. It's stretchy. I have some of your other cloth ones. So I just didn't really, I didn't even really anticipate that it was going to be stretchy. I was like, oh, okay. And so it gives a different mm -hmm. kind of feel to it. What are some tips that you have for people who want to like style head wraps or buying their first head wrap? Like how do you pick your first head wrap? And then what are some tips for styling your first, like your head wrap? Those are great questions because I feel <laughs> like now that I've, I've brought on board this woman who helps us, she's a copywriter mm -hmm. and we're like brainstorming different blog posts. And I feel like I'm thinking about, you know, in terms of making the shopping experience better online, I, I was thinking about just like, okay, what do we tell people who are new at head wrapping? You mm -hmm. know, because the thing is, as a small business who started something like this from scratch and now, you know, and, and, and so there are a lot of, there are a lot of head wrap vendors right now around the world. And there are yeah. a lot of, on Amazon, I spent so much money last year getting those, you know, Chinese manufacturers, they're in China, they're selling head wraps and then they're taking our photographs and then they're using it as a selling point. So yeah, women are a, going on ad. seeing the photos. Yeah. And, and they're taking all of my photos, all of them. So it's just wow. this whole hassle and it's just so unfortunate. Right. And the thing is we work really hard at providing that inspiration and giving that information when they just take the photo and just removes the color and then that's it. And then women are like, Oh, I get the inspiration from, you know, different black owned head wrap companies. I see the tutorials, but now I can go on these platforms and get it for like a third of the price the or, yeah. or whatever mm -hmm. that is. And so I think about, okay, there is still a market out there. It's not just, you know, women who have already been convinced that they can wear a head wrap. What about women who are still trying to figure it out? So those are things, all things that we've been working on our blog. So yeah, we, we want to be this place where we don't only talk about head wraps or hair accessories, but just also hair in general and, and styling it and all of that, because you could be a new I guess I always recommend our rib stretch knits for beginners because they're so forgiving. You know, you have you have the the slight stretch and then you have that texture that kind of like keeps it in place and then it's lightweight and then you can use it to you can use it as a base to build height 
and you could wear it the way you're wearing it like this. There are just so many different styles. So we have a fabric guide on our website too that we just published and that really goes in depth about our fabrics and, and where they come from and how to use them. And then we have all of these different tutorials and we've been really building our YouTube. And, I'm, and my goal is to use all these different models too. So, because we're all very visual, right? I think someone could see someone with a big Afro and the head wrap and then they think, okay, well, I have locks. What about tutorials for me? Because, you know, being a beginner depends also on what your hair is, is like and, and what you can use to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Because some people only want, some people only want to do a pineapple, I call it. And some people yes, only want to do a bag bun, right? And some people only want to do a knot, a, a top knot. There are so many different styles, which is, again, why I'm in love with the head wrap, because it's so versatile, you know? So I would say in terms of fabrics or style, one, I think the red, red knits are, are amazing. I think the lightweight, if you're into print, those lightweight cottons are really good as a beginner. Also, because, you know, to me, I would say go with two options. Go with a lightweight print kind of like this. Even if you're not into print, we have the solids. And then go with the rib stretch knit. And then because then you could use the rib stretch knit as a base if you want to build height for something that's more rigid. But then the rigid head wraps are beautiful because one, they wash really well. The, the more they wash, the softer they get. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you bought an African print from me in the past and it even has a wax coating or it's Ankara, the, the more you wash it, the softer it gets. But then they're also great to create different bow styles like a back bow and, and or like a front bow and all of these different things that are just Honestly, again, like each style gives their own thing. And then it, you also have to know your face. It's mm-hmm. kind of like makeup, right? Like there are yeah. things that work for people and there are things that don't. So not every style is going to work for you. And that's okay. Just like find the best style and then rock or the best three styles because there are so many. There are. And then <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. I love how you compared it to makeup because it is very much like your face. I think it's experimentation. I feel like when I started out, I would just do them and wear them in the house, like just to see how I feel, see if it would stay on, especially in places like New York, you know, it's windy. I'm like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to make sure this is sturdy. So like, you know, even just experimenting at home to see how you like it, um, how it fits with your different outfits and all the other stuff. I feel like, like you said, it's makeup. It's it's all about like playing. And even earlier, mm-hmm. which I thought was beautiful, like how you talked about how it's like a ritual, kind of like you, like how you said, like putting on makeup of like, you know, using your arms. It's like wash day, but it's wrap day, you know? Um, exactly. And I love thinking about what the hair is doing underneath too. Like mm-hmm. there, there's something special about that too, because you think about the locks and how you just want them to spill over the head wrap. You think about even, you know, your little two strand twist, you're, you have them in a scrunchie underneath. That's what I have right now. And then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are just so many beautiful things about wearing the head wrap that goes beyond just kind of like this on the head, but what's going on underneath as, as well. And to me, yeah. I think that's just really special. Yeah. And I think about also like, just, I guess, cause I'm, I'm a historian and I just did all this research on history of head wraps. I also think about like our ancestors and like how they used mm-hmm. to wrap their hair in the morning, whether that was like, you know, in Africa or in a country in Africa, or even the way that, I mean, unfortunately, even the way that it had like this um, connection with slavery, just how, you know, how it has evolved over time and how for generations there have been women in our families who have wrapped their hair for various reasons. And now it's like this beautiful 
accessory that can be done at informal and informal events. Right, for sure. You have, you know, the I need to run real quick to run errands head wrap, and then you got the I need to arrive at this function head wrap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's head wraps for every occasion. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Before I ask you the signature question, the last question of the show, I just want you to tell people where they can find you, how they can support you. I know you have a physical store in Austin, so just let people know, you know, how they can support you, where they can follow you, and learn more about you, Famdom, and everything else that you have going on. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Well, you can find us at fumjum.com. It's F-A-N-M-D-J-A-N-M. Um, but if you can't remember that, just I think if you type strong woman in Haitian Creole, we should pop up. <laughs> That's one thing. So we're at Fumjum everywhere on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter. And as I expand my team, hopefully you could be more active on all these different platforms. There are a lot of platforms right there's now. A, there's too we many. Have, <laughs> yeah, there are lots. And then we are based in Austin right now. We moved the company last year from Bushwick, from Brooklyn <laughs> to, uh, to Austin. And we're on this main street on South Lamar, we're actually not open yet. Like we've just been taking local pickups. And then mm -hmm. I did this kind of like soft opening event to see how it would go. As I, you know, we grow our team, maybe add one to two more people. Also because Austin is so different than New York. Mm -hmm. There are not a lot, of, a lot of black people in Austin. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like making the best of the space. But so far, it's just been amazing um, meeting all the different uh, black women creators in Austin. Some people have been coming from Houston and Dallas wow. to you know, check us out, which is pretty special too. So I want to make sure I give people the ultimate shopping experience. I am working on doing a workshop, like an in-person head wrap workshop as well. And also oh, nice. maybe using that as a, some kind of like group experience. And so I definitely want to try that in Austin, especially, you know, if you want to do something before you go out or you know, it's just like mm -hmm. one of those experiences. And then you get to walk out with head wraps and knowing how to wrap your head wrap and just having that great time. Um, yeah. Because like I was saying, those personal connections really matter to me more than anything. This is the last question of the podcast that I ask everybody. If you got an opportunity to write a chapter in a textbook on head wraps, the history of head wraps, what would you call that chapter and why? Oh my gosh. What would I call the chap a chapter on hetera? I would keep it sweet and simple. Maybe I would just, it would be the title would be mm -hmm. maybe expand. Okay. Um, and I think expansion to me is really important because I talked about how the hetera makes you stand taller, mm -hmm. right? And coming up and, and taking space. But also the more you expand, like if you think of yourself as a tree, for example, the more you're able to give. And because when I think about Fum Jum 2, I, um, I think about community and sisterhood a lot. That's a big common theme and, and the work that we do. And I guess also because I, I know how much I've tried to shrink myself and my former lives mm -hmm. and how scary it is to expand and to grow and evolve. I would call it that to encourage people to not be so afraid to expand and to take up that space. And it doesn't always have to be physically or in a room that you don't feel welcome. Then it means also in your mind and, and all, everything that you do in life. If it's anything, I think head wraps and thumb jump have 
taught me is that nothing is as simple as you think they are or as easy as you think they are. Well, I love that expansion because I, I think about that, especially from this conversation and just in general, like, I feel like to me, like a head wrap is kind of like the icing on the cake. Like, you know, I like get dressed and I usually, sometimes I even do my makeup before and then that's like my last thing, you know? And so like that to me is also an expansion. It's an expansion and extension to the outfits an expansion to your height. And it expands, I think like what we talked about today, like societally wise, like it has expanded our minds about like what's beautiful, what's appropriate. How can we show up in these formal places as ourselves head wrapped or not, you know? And so I think, yeah, it expands us on so many levels, like on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a, um, you know, societal level. So I, I love that you picked expansion. History of head wraps, expansion. I like it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I know you're busy. I know you're uh, having a day with the kids and stuff. So I really appreciate you. You know, I love and I'm always inspired by the things that you're doing, the content that you create, the way you capture black women and skin. So just like, I appreciate you. And I just want to like, also just tell you that, you know. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Mm -hmm. you too. And that is the conclusion of season three, episode seven on the history of head wraps from royalty to slavery to beauty. And I don't know, did y'all enjoy that episode with Paula? I did. I really enjoyed the interview. She dropped so, so, so much knowledge on head wraps, her culture, her business. And I just really appreciated, you know, her perspective on everything and how she just even acknowledged, right, that we are not all people feel and think the same, especially around the the controversy around can white women wear head wraps, right? That's some people don't care. Some people do care. So I really appreciated that insight. I also really appreciated her insight on her tips and tricks, right, to shopping for head wraps and for tying head wraps. So I feel like I'm going to be stepping my head wrap game all the way up after this episode. So if you see me on IG, if you see me in the streets and I have on a head wrap, just know I put a lot of thought into it. So I really just appreciated her. I really was mind blown by, you know, the thought process that goes into picking head wraps, the material, the stretchiness, the solid color head wraps, like the diversity of that to kind of rock it with different clothes. So she really kind of blew my mind. I just never really thought about things like that. I don't know if y'all have, maybe I'm just a simple one, but it was really, really nice talking to her. I felt like I was talking to a longtime friend and like I told you before, I met her in 2014. So it was just nice to like reconnect and to talk about her growth and be encouraged by that. I think as creators, or if you have an idea, you want to be a writer or anything like that, it's always nice to hear stories about people who were once in that idea phase, like many of us are, and then actually executed and how long that took in the ups and downs of that. So I appreciated her giving us the insight on that opening the curtain and letting us peek into her thought process and her doubts and her successes so now as usual i encourage you all to check out the show notes which can be found by clicking on this episode name and whatever app you're using for the podcast of course use it 
subscribe if you haven't subscribed already like duh what are you doing should have did that in the first five minutes and one of the benefits of the show notes or even just going to the website that wasn't in my textbook.com is that you can get the social handles for our guest today Paula you can get her website info you can buy a head wrap from her and so definitely follow her and support her all over the interwebs. It's full of head wraps. She shares bright colors. She shares home decor. She shares beautiful photos of black women because she's a photographer. And she also talks about her parenting, which I love seeing. And, you know, before we end this episode, we I've already told you to subscribe. So we've done that check. Please leave a review if you haven't already. Drop some stars, five of them, preferably and go tell a friend to tell a friend if you're if you really enjoyed this share this wherever you're listening to it twitter ig whatever these type of things are just really important to expand our community which is like my number one goal just to get as many people as possible listening to the podcast so they can enjoy it so they can be informed and we can all learn together and then one of my other goals is to you know be ranked on itunes and all and spotify and all these streaming platforms so the more reviews i get the more listeners i get the more likely i could be listed as like the top history podcast and like be on like the main page so you know help a girl out let's do this together and then of course I always tell y'all, make sure you're following That Wasn't In My Textbook all over the interwebs. We even have a YouTube channel. Wherever there's something where someone's created a profile, we have one, even TikTok. Um, Thank you again for tuning in this episode and just rocking with me this season. I know it's been a little rocky, a little inconsistent, but we're going to change things around here. Make sure you're subscribed. I said that already. You know, I got some really good topics coming up some really great guests so i think that's going to be exciting nice juicy history topics that you don't want to miss so subscribe and until next time remember knowledge is power